Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a show that looks at the way technology, politics, and policy impacts the world around us, the tools we use, the way services are delivered, and how we talk about and set policy all shape our society. We'll gather around and have a chat about these things together and more. Either that, or maybe I'll rant about a topic for a while. Before we get started, I do want to let you all know that we've started a Discord for the podcast. There will be a link with an invite down in the episode description. Do feel free to go check that out. It's a small community right now, but hoping to grow it. It's a great way to reach out to me and let me know things that you might want us to cover, or to just hang out and talk about civic tech. Anyway, let's go ahead and start the show. Lauren, Sophia, thank you both so much for coming on to Civic Tech Chat. Could each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about what you do? Thank you, Ryan. Hi. Um, well, I'm Sophia. I'm Mexican, and I co-direct the Coastal Network along with Lori, who's here with me. And my focus is mostly on funder relations and capacity building programs. But I also leave the three communities of practice we have in the network around disinformation, good governance, and digital citizen engagement. I've been in the civic tech ecosystem for about four years now. Uh, I started as part of a Mexican civic tech organization that's called Codeando Mexico, which means code for Mexico. And in there, I focus on digital citizen engagement and open data projects. So that's basically kind of like the, the focus I've, I've had along in these four years in civic tech. Yeah, um, and hi, I'm Lauren, um, and I'm the other co-director at Code for All with Sophia. Um, my focus as a director is on communications and team development, um, and I also lead our support squads program. Um, I originally became involved with civic tech through Code for San Jose, which is a Code for America brigade, uh, and also did some work with Code for Australia before joining Code for All. For each of you, what would you say is your personal why? The thing that drives you to get out of bed each morning, to do what you do? Mm, I think for me, for me getting into civic tech was mind-blowing. It was a whole new universe. So my background is in social sciences. So I wasn't really close to tech before getting involved with Codeando. Um, however, I have always focused on community engagement and citizen participation, so that became some sort of like the thread I started to follow, but only adding the digital component. So having collaborated with grassroots organizations previously, I, some, I understood the challenges and misconceptions that exist around tech as a potential weapon, especially like in those areas. But I felt that civic tech could be that bridge, you know, that that thing that connects um, more traditional organizations with technology and like with using and having this potential use of technology as a tool instead of seeing it as only a threat to make their projects better, to be more efficient. So I don't know, civic tech is a space that invites you to be creative and think on new possibilities always having collaboration in the back of our heads. So that's, I think that's one of the things that, that hit me the most and that drives me now uh, as, as much. Yeah, and um, for me, I would say that since I first stumbled into civic tech, I just sort of felt at home in it. Um, I love working on creative projects. I love tackling issues that feel uh, important to me in some way. 
And I think civic tech, at least in my experience, has offered a space to do these things in a way that feels quite uh, welcoming, relaxed, and supportive. Uh, so I love the possibilities that come with civic tech and with having that type of space. I've also really enjoyed meeting people from different places who do civic tech work um, and just feeling that special sort of connection that comes uh, with having a shared interest. Uh, and so I find it exciting that my job involves creating spaces for others to have that type of experience. For folks that aren't familiar with your organization, Code for All, can we talk a bit about what the organization is all about? Yeah, of course. Um, so Code for All is the largest civic tech network in the world. Um, our purpose is to bring people together who are doing similar civic tech type work um, in different parts of the world so that they can connect, share ideas, share knowledge and resources. Um, so basically, there are a lot of different uh, civic tech organizations around the world. We have Code for Pakistan, Code for Japan, Civic Tech Sweden, Code on the Mexico. Um, and our job is to help connect and bring them together. Um, it's a member-driven network, so civic tech organizations can join the network as members. And as a member organization, they help shape Code for All and are also given uh, opportunities for shared funding and to join in on events and workshops that help support their work. So one of the things that your organization does, uh, again, Code for All, is that you put together this annual summit, of which there's another rendition of it coming up from the 27th through the 30th this month. What sort of importance does the summit have for the Code for All network that uh, was just mentioned? So the first Code for All summit happened a few years after the network was officially founded. And it was this opportunity for members to get together once a year, talk about the projects each organization was doing, generate network strategies, and in a way, also, it was a space for members to decide where, which were the topics and projects that we should focus as a network. So even though we constantly share what our members are doing through the newsletter on a daily basis, it can be complicated to know the specifics of the projects each organization is working on. So the summit was a good way to have a deeper update, <laughs> to say so, and generate also new projects together or share feedback on the things that we're doing. So the summit has always been this space to let's say like we recharge our energies and in a way we find new ways to collaborate. I believe this is the second time that this event has needed to run as a fully remote event. I believe the first time being last year for uh, very apparent reasons given the state of the world. Uh, what lessons have you learned along the way as you've done these sort of large remote events? Yeah, um, we've definitely learned some lessons. Last year, our summit was actually supposed to take place in Poland, um, but of course, things were derailed, like you mentioned, uh, with COVID. And we had to sort of very quickly, like everyone else, um, adapt to the change. And we sort of threw together the summit in much less time than we would have otherwise. Um, so one thing we've done this year is, of course, we had more time to prepare. Uh, so we've made sure to take advantage of that by starting early. Um, we were also Zoom bombed last year in our very first summit session, which was quite distressing. Um, so security-wise, we've made some changes. Um, and we actually realized 
by sort of being forced into this format that it really works uh, for our network and that more people are able to be part of the summit compared to, uh, you know, when meeting in person, there are the challenges of travel costs, sorting out visas and other obstacles that just aren't there when, when meeting online. Um, and of course, there are plenty of other obstacles, but we've sort of learned that having this event online works well for Code for All. You mentioned having to respond to being Zoom bombed. What what sort of security things have you put into place with Zoom to try to prevent that from happening again? I think the thing is we we just were a bit naive last year starting off. So we had started off with like no protection. Um, we actually shared an open Zoom link like all over social media because the thought was it would be really easy for people to just like join in, especially if they were new to civic tech and just wanted to like tune in to see if it was something that they were interested in. Um, and then we sort of just realized right away that that uh, was a mistake. And so last year we, we changed everything after the very first session when that happened. We, we created all new Zoom links and we put passwords uh, on top of them and made it so you had to register to get the link. Um, and then it actually caused other problems where it was a bit difficult for people to find uh, everything that they needed to, to get to each session. So, um, so this year we've just sort of found, I think, a middle ground there where hopefully it will be easy to join, but um, it'll also be safe from, from that happening again. Looking around about the event, I saw that it's focused on a few key topic areas including open versus closed tech in government, democracy and elections, disinformation and fake news, power dynamics in tech. Can you talk a bit about the processes that the organizing team went through to make those choices? Yeah, for sure. Um, So the way we chose our themes is we first took a look at current events happening around the world uh, relating to civic tech. And we also looked at the themes of projects that our member organizations were working on. Um, And from there, we created a long list of themes and then asked the community to tell us which themes they wanted to see at Summit. Um, And the four themes that you mentioned are what we ended up with. So it was a mix of uh, sort of looking at the current landscape of things and also asking people what they want. Something that you both mentioned to me as we were kind of chatting to prepare for the interview is that some portion of the topic choice is a reflection of how network priorities change over time as maybe one thing becomes more urgent, something else becomes less urgent. Can we talk a bit about how that those sorts of changes influence the choice? Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, one really striking example is how last year a big theme in our summit was the civic tech response to COVID, um, which was very relevant at the time. Um, And although it's still very relevant today, I think it's a topic that too many might feel a bit more exhausting than inspiring to discuss in this particular context than at this time. Um, You know, whereas last year it sort of felt unthinkable to not make it one of the themes. And the themes that we've ended up with this year, though they're all different, they all sort of tie into um, each other by a thread that's, I would say, somewhere in the realm of truth, transparency, and how decisions are made. 
Um, and we believe these themes are all very relevant at this time for people all over the world. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see which themes we end up with next year. It's not something we would be able to come up with now because we don't yet know uh, what will be most relevant a year from now. So I definitely understand if this is a difficult question to answer, perhaps the most difficult question of this interview. But is there a topic that each of you is the most is, is most excited about? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely difficult, but I would say that for me, power dynamics is the topic I'm not most interested in. I, it also has really great sessions, so that I think they're going to put the conversation in the center around different perspectives within tech beyond the traditional Western approach. So I think it's a space that considers new narratives and groups that are usually excluded, and that, that gets me really excited. I'm actually also most excited for uh, power dynamics in tech. I think it's a really interesting and relevant topic, um, and it can go in a lot of different directions. Uh, also, sort of, I'm interested in it because a lot of what's true in the general tech industry, I would say, is reflected in civic tech, whether we want that to be the case or not. And so I think it's important to be aware of and talk about these things. I've gathered that representing global diversity well is something that's been on your minds. How have you all approached holding to that value as this event has been being organized? So we're consciously trying to have diversity of participants and regions in the different summit sessions, but also we're trying to make the sessions available to the different times of time zones of our members. That sometimes is a bit complicated. I think that's I think that's one of the of the reasons we came up with the idea this year of doing recorded asynchronous sessions. That way it would be easier for people in different places to, to look around and not miss a thing. So time differences are challenging to homologate and sometimes no matter how much you try, there are regions that will have access to fewer sessions because it depends a lot on the facilitator's availability. So yeah, that was one of our, that's one of our efforts on trying to, to approach diversity and that's something that we're, we're trying to reflect in both our content and facilitators, but as well as in our audiences. As a follow-up to that, uh, you mentioned the challenge of, of time zones there. Uh, I imagine that then impacts, you know, your, your thoughts for how you set up a, a schedule as far as like who's going to speak when, that, that sort of thing. Is that something where the, the time is the time zone placement based on, say, like where the speaker is based off of, is there like an agreed upon band that y'all have for the event more generally? Can, can you talk a bit about that time zone challenge? Yeah, sure. So it depends a lot on the, the facilitator's availability. Um, so what we ask them is to, for them to like fill out some sort of like, yeah, like chart where they can put their schedule and the, the hours they, they have available. And from that on, I wish I could show you our spreadsheet, but we have some sort of like, you know, imagine like this wall with tons of clocks that have different, have different time zones. Well, we have that, but without the clocks, like with the physical clocks. So what we, what we try to do is, okay, we check on each hour where the facilitator is available and we see, okay, 
how many yeah like it, what time is it in this region what time is it in this region what time is it in this region and we try to to accommodate things that the way that for example like southeast asia can participate in as many sessions as people in europe for example or people in i don't know latin america can participate in as many sessions as people in i don't know south africa so yeah like we try to we try to homologate that part like or try to have the same amount of sessions for each region um but it it is definitely a challenge because yeah it, it all depends a lot on on the availability of facilitators and also there's like we have to acknowledge that there's going to be time there are going to be sessions where not everyone is going to be able to participate we have huge time differences for example between um the pacific coast like california and all that part and i don't know with melbourne for example so yeah like we try to accommodate and like jumping around one region and the other i think those are the the ones that are more extreme um and yeah as i mentioned like that's why we are trying to find new new asynchronous formats that are available for everyone and that you don't really need to be awake at 7 a.m to join a session or to stay up late until 9 p.m to join but you can check out later the yeah like the content that we're gonna have and not miss a thing oh, you mentioned that there's gonna be uh asynchronous availability for the content uh do you have a sense for where that's going to be places or like a particular platform y'all have chosen to host that on or is that um, still in flight a bit? No, we, well, we have a YouTube channel. We're going to share the information around it. Um, but we have a YouTube channel. Um, last year, we what we did is that we recorded some of the sessions and we uploaded that there. And that was really good. That was something that people gave us a lot of good feedback around. So we're going to upload the asynchronous sessions that we have. Are We're calling them lightning talks. So those are like from five to seven recorded videos around projects of the network and also projects that people have submitted to participate. And so they're also like very short, you know, it's like easier to see and to understand. And it's like a brief scope of the project. Um, and those ones are going to be uploaded in our YouTube channel and they're also going to be uploaded in our website. So um, yeah, they're going to be there so people can check it out. I imagine that accessibility is probably something that's been on your minds. You know, that's something that can be a challenge, whether you're talking about it, uh, virtual mediums or, you know, being somewhere and trying to do an event in person. With y'all doing this virtual event, what sort of steps have you, been, have you been taking to try to address that accessibility challenge? We're very happy to share that uh, this year we are working with engagement and accessibility expert, Mark Renja, who is program manager at Code for Africa. And he's giving us feedback and recommendations on how to make the sessions more comfortable and accessible. So as Lauren mentioned before, the summit is an iterative process where we are learning from our mistakes from our past and the things that we haven't considered before, especially now being online. Um, so there will be things that we may not be able to implement this year, but the idea of working with Mark is also to generate resources around the topic 
so that the core team and our members um, can use every time they organize an event or an online session. So we're thinking about creating like a guide, like an accessibility guide for events that can be easily shared within our community. In addition to the to the challenges we've talked about there, I imagine a challenge that's maybe unique to this event, uh, given the global nature of it, is thinking of ways to present information in a way that's available in multiple languages. How have you all been responding to that challenge? Oh, yeah, the, the language um, the language is a challenge. The multiple languages is a challenge in the network, as you say. So for the summit in particular, this year we will include sign language for our panels and workshops. We're working around, that's one of the actions we have been working with Mark. Um, we don't have at the moment the resources to offer simultaneous translations in multiple languages, especially because we have a lot of members and that also means a lot of languages. But it's something that we definitely have in our to-do list for next year. And aside from the summit, we, we have been trying to incorporate multiple languages in a lot of what we do. For example, our member organizations have helped us translate blog articles, uh, especially our Black Lives Matter statement was translated into Polish, Japanese, German, French, and Spanish. We'll also be using a translation plugin on our new website, and having code for all information available in multiple languages is a big priority. So we're currently taking the first steps to address that language diversity, but we're aware that it's gonna be a long, long process. That is totally understandable. I imagine that is a it's very time-consuming and resource-intensive to attempt to to address. So I'll be curious to uh, if we have another one of these conversations next year for for the next. Uh, I'll be curious to see what new iterations y'all have done as you've learned from from this event. Yeah, it would be great. So folks have likely been listening to this conversation at home, and they might be thinking to themselves, "Hey, you know, I am kind of into what they're talking about with this event." I would like to either watch it or attend some of the synchronous sessions. How should they go about trying to do that? If you're interested in attending, we would love to have you there. Uh, and you can find the information uh, on our website. You can find the summit agenda there, uh, which is codeforall.org. Um, and from there, you can browse sessions and then register for free on Eventbrite for the sessions that you want to attend. Um, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, and that way you'll be notified when the Summit Lightning Talks that Sophia was talking about earlier uh, are released. And worry not, dear listeners, I will have a link to both uh, the website that was mentioned as well as to their YouTube channel in the episode description. So whether you're going to the Civic Tech Chat website and seeing this, or you're looking at it on your podcast app, there should be a link in either place. As we head to the the tail end of our conversation, a tradition we have on the podcast is to leave some space for our guests to have uh, concluding thoughts, basically the sorts of things they'd like you to think about as we're leaving the conversation. So for for this topic, the Code for All Summit, and this conversation, uh, what would you all like the audience to leave this thinking about? Well, check our website, check our summit agenda, and register. I think that's the <laughs> the biggest one. Like, 
go check out the things that we're gonna have and also yeah like be part of that community be part of that summit i think you're gonna have a great time you're gonna see very interesting sessions we're trying to make it like really really engaging so yeah check our website check 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 our website please <laughs> Um, and I think I would only highlight also that the summit is in itself an iterative process as we have mentioned this before along this, this talk and it builds up from ideas and feedback of our community so it's very important also for us to listen from your experiences as a participant and that's also going to help us build a better summit next year and we want to thank our members and our community in general for, for being part of the design process with their thoughts and their feedback and also we want to thank them for their participation in the sessions of course um, and a quick shout out to our funders who are making this effort possible too lauren sophia again thank you both for coming on to civic tech chat thank you ryan thank you so much it was great to be here you can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat, visit us on the web at civictech.chat, or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.